podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. When Sarah Mayston works with her clients, she initially looks at three areas. Where are you now? Where would you like to be? What's stopping making the required changes? Using this model, Sarah is able to effectively deal with a vast array of conditions and often work on coaching clients in many different aspects of their lives. She has a holistic approach with an emphasis on using trance-assisted processes and utilizing the subconscious to support clients to achieve their full potential. Valeria interviews Sarah Mayston. Sarah is a psychotherapist specializing in hypnosis and life coaching. Sarah has had a varied career in mental health. Working with Barnardos, children's mental health charity, adult mental health charities, and within the NHS. Her career has included working with children with emotional and behavioral problems, as a mental health support worker, and in court as a forensic mental health practitioner. Some charity work and volunteer positions include Samaritans, using active listening skills to support people who feel life is no longer worth living, crisis working with the homeless people in shelters in London, Psycare supporting people having psychedelic experiences and keeping them safe at festivals, Circles, working with people convicted of sex offenses, supporting them to make sense of their trauma and managing their offending thoughts. Sarah uses a holistic and integrative approach to therapy and coaching and has been trained in the following disciplines. Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, Neuro-Linguistic Programming, Ericksonian Hypnosis, Brief Solution-Focused Therapy, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, Hypnobirthing, Jungian Approach, Flash Technique, Family Constellations, Focusing, Shamanic Counseling, life coaching, and meditation. To learn more about Sarah and her work, please visit hypnopsychotherapycoaching.com. Here is the interview with Sarah Mayston. In your own words, who is Sarah Mayston? Who is Sarah Mayston? She is many things. She is a woman. She is queer. She is 
um, white and middle class and with all of the the privilege that that brings. Um, She is a learner. She likes to learn and explore and share her wisdom. In terms of um, work, she is a a forensic mental health practitioner. Um, She is a hypnotherapist. She is a life coach. She is adventurous and connected to her joy. She is deeply flawed, um, (laughs) but she is trying her best and uh, I like her. I love the end. (laughs) So before we talk about um, hypnosis and some other topics in between related to your work, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what does it mean to be a human being, Sarah? It's very interesting to be a human being. I think it's just such an accident of chance that we're even here and that we exist at this time in history with this brain, this body. I think the thing about human brains is they're so adaptable and have such a capacity for healing and learning and creating ways of being. I think being human is it's suffering. It can be it can be very hard. But I think that we have this incredible capacity for for love. And I think that's what makes us human. Yeah. Sounds great to me. It resonates. What is to be mentally healthy? In your opinion, I suppose it, it's such a it's such a big and complicated thing. I think that everyone experiences um, suffering, and everyone experiences trauma. I think to be mentally well is to be able to accept and sit with the suffering, to to have the ability to to process it, and. I think it takes all sorts of different things for different people to be mentally healthy and mentally well. I think we need a support network. I think we need to be able to talk about how we're feeling. I think it involves where we are in society. It involves our environment, being able to keep physically well, because mind and body are are connected. They are one. So, yeah, I suppose it's, it's, it's the capacity for, for all of those things. And to be able to to learn and reflect and move forward. Yeah. Oh, I love the component of acceptance that you mentioned. That makes so much sense to me. Yeah, it's a big part. Right. So I have three questions about life itself. And the first one is the open one. What is life to you? Oh, it's such a <laughs> such a big question. I suppose it's evolution. Um, it's it's a it's a journey. It's growing and developing and and being of service to others. It's about making things better. So I suppose that's that's why we're here to look at what life is, what suffering is, and to try and make things better for for everyone. I think it's about finding a sense of of purpose 
connecting to our values and ultimately finding meaning. Beautiful. What do you think is the opposite of life? I suppose it's um, being perhaps stunted, unable to grow, not being able to reflect. I suppose like for some people if if they're if they're stunted if they if they can't reflect on their own emotions not being able to have that sense of autonomy they can become mean and and bitter and and angry i suppose it's about not not really bothering um with life not really taking the opportunities and um connecting to joy um, perhaps blaming others as well. I think that, that that's part of, you know, not not living, not not realizing your own autonomy. Yeah, I love that answer. <laughs> and so true. Do you think that we all have unique talents, gifts and unique purposes? Yeah, I, I like to think so. I mean, that that feels very true for me. I feel very lucky in that regard. I feel like, you know, I've I've always had this sort of temperament, this this drive to help other people and I've, you know, always felt like I'm I'm very good at it and and for me it's kind of quite come quite easily and naturally and I feel like lots of people have this experience that they know their sense of purpose from quite an early age. They they know what what drives them, what makes them happy, what they can contribute and I I believe that we all have something special to contribute um I suppose for some people it can take a bit longer to really recognize and find that sense of purpose and understand um what they're they're here to do but I just I think it just takes a little bit of of reflection and and soul searching to find that but yes I do I do think that that we all have that unique sense of purpose I'm wondering how do we know when we are there, when we have found our sense of purpose or gifts and we are using them in the world? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to say, really. I suppose it's just, you just know, you've just got this feeling that, ah, oh, this is, this is working. I'm doing, I'm doing this well. This is, you know, whether it, it's helping people or bringing people joy or contributing in some way, you get that, that, that sort of gut reaction that, that this is this is right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's really thing that we need to find out for ourselves, right, Sarah, in a way. Um yeah, I think so. Yeah. What is to be free? What is freedom to you? I think freedom is very much about unlearning what society or what uh people tell us we we can and can't be. I think it's it's a process. I think it's about letting go of of those chains and seeing things for what they are. I think it's it feels I guess in your body there's like a a peaceful feeling. It's a letting go of expectations and norms and uh what people tell us is possible. It's beautiful. It's something that we should all strive for. Yes, yeah, it is beautiful. <laughs> like you said, <laughs> coming from that place of uh, knowing, right? At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? 
I think this is a really interesting time in human history. And I suppose people have always thought that about their time. Uh, (laughs) But there's something quite um, profound about what's going on with the pandemic, like just proper shutting down the whole planet. And, you know, people are not working and that's you know, causing all sorts of, of problems for lots of people. Um, some people are lucky that they are working and well, they get some some government help. But I think we are all stopping now and we are thinking about how we do life, how we work. And in many ways, that's really fantastic because people who have disabilities or mental health problems or um, other commitments you know, they they were told that they couldn't work from home, but now everyone's working from home. So we can, there's so much capacity for change in how we structure work. I mean, how we think about what's important. Like we haven't been, I, I don't know about where you are, but um, but here, like all the all the shops have shut, all the like, um, except like food shops, but, but people aren't shopping and people aren't needing to to go out and and spend all this money on things that they might not need and 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 oh it's just so so many things you think of like the the environment and you think of the black lives matter movement and there's just this this moment right now where we're like what do we do how do we well for some people we're thinking about how do we make things better and i think it's about equality i think it's about making this a fairer world on a um, sort of a a national scale but also on a global scale and really thinking about what's happened before our history and how to right those wrongs and it it feels it feels really positive in my experience it feels like people really are taking this time and space to educate themselves and connect with people and show love and be there for each other and and heal together so that's what I feel I feel like that's happening and I and I hope that's happening and it just feels really poignant and symbolic that it's 2020 and Mm -hmm. it feels like we're finally seeing clearly you know (laughs) Ah, interesting right they made that a association (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a, an opportunity to uh, positive change you know, in the human experience. I agree. My next question is about love. What is love to you? Love is everything. I think that's why why we're here. I suppose there's there's so many there's so many ways that we talk about love, and it's you know there's there's so many different words for love and you know there's so many different types of love there's the erotic love there's there's romantic love there's love for ourselves for our family for for humanity and it's it's an action it's something that we express by how we how we behave it is it's both a very personal thing it's also, I suppose, if, if we're thinking about it in a, a public sense, it's it's about social justice. It's it's a feeling. It's something deep and pure. And I think we're we're all born 
with with love in our hearts. And I think, you know, things might happen that make it harder for us to access that love, but it's it's within us all. It's everything. It's uh, whatever the question is, the answer is always love. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Yes, I do. I think it's really hard to achieve. I think that it's so easy to speak nastily to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you, even when you know that it's not helping anyone to be mean to yourself, it's just such an instant reaction. And it's really, it's really nasty, especially when you're already hurting and you're already suffering, suffering and you're mean to yourself it's uh it's just adding more pain but yes I think it is possible and I think it's something that we it's worth trying hard to achieve because if if you're able to do that then you can you can do anything you can you can love freely you can you can help other people you can do everything that you need to do I think that that negative voice holds us back so much. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that's interesting the way you speak. It's easier for us to criticize ourselves, yeah, and not to love ourselves all the time. And that makes me think about more the realm of the mind, if we can separate the mind from the heart. So it's almost uh, shifting from a state of mind to a state of heart. And then love will be there always. In a way, it's, it's still a practice, <laughs> I would say. What, where, and who is God to you? I suppose when I think of God, I think of the source. I think of the creator. I think of whatever happened to make all of this exist. And in that sense, I think that love is everywhere. I think it's in nature. I think it's in ourselves. I guess we're all we're all made of stars and we're all part of this this creation. So that's how I see it. I see God as as everything everywhere. Yes, I agree. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Yeah, I suppose I do and I suppose when I think of religion I think of something more like organized. I don't know if that's correct, but um, that's that's the kind of impression that I get. You think of particular religions. And I think of spirit, spirituality as a lot more fluid. I think of it as a feeling. I think of it as, as growth and wisdom and connectedness to something bigger than ourselves. And I see spirituality, I feel like there's lots of different uh, avenues of spirituality. Like I think of of yoga as a spiritual practice. I think of uh, meditation and mindfulness. I think of that as a spiritual. So that's that's kind of a, a spiritual world that, that I'm, I feel like I'm part of and I identify with. In terms of organized religion that's not something I am so familiar with but I, I understand and recognize it's it has some shared values with spirituality but yeah I guess it, it's that 
that sense of something greater than ourselves and feeling connected to, to that um, comes under both spirituality and religion. So let's talk about your work. And my first question is, why did you choose to become a hypnopsychotherapist? Wow, that's a long word. And also, <laughs> I never heard about the hypnobirth thing. I never heard about that. So I have to ask you the question too. What is it, hypnobirth thing? Ooh, okay. Uh, which one should I answer first? Uh, you choose. <laughs> um, okay, so I will start with... Uh, becoming a hypnopsychotherapist. So I suppose um, it was actually initially um, a means to an end. So I was working for Bernardo's. So it's um, a children's charity in the UK. I was working with a lot of uh, young people who had experienced quite a lot of trauma and they would get very angry, um, very upset, very poor behavior, very explosive behavior. And um, part of my training was to um, support the young people that we worked with to manage their emotions. And part of that was we, we had a um, we had a wonderful teacher who came into school to teach us about um, supporting children to emotionally regulate. And um, I, I went up to her at the end and I I said, you know, I was totally blown blown away. I was I was really excited about the the training. It was just yeah, it was just really wonderful. And she she told me that I should look into EMDR. So I did. So are you familiar with EMDR? No, I was about to ask EM. What is it, Sarah? I don't know. So it's um it stands for eye movement um desensitization reprocessing. So it's yeah, it's quite a mouthful. But it's it's all about um, healing trauma using um, eye movements. So it's proven to be the best um, kind of treatment for PTSD, and it, it's it's sort of move, moving the trauma to a different part of your brain, so you um, it's not quite so present. So um, I looked into EMDR, and I was super excited about it, and I was I was planning to. Um, to become an EMDR practitioner. So I looked into the the different routes that you can go into becoming an EMDR practitioner. And um, I found what seemed to be the the quickest route was through hypnosis, um, studying to become a hypnotherapist. So I did the the course fully expecting that it was a means to an end, that it would get me to the EMDR training. And actually, I loved it so much that I was quite content doing the hypnotherapy so I haven't actually um it is on the list but I haven't done my EMDR but I I'm very much enjoying hypnotherapy. Interesting so hypnotherapy is this form of therapy that I don't understand much but I have heard about and you send me some material so I read now I know some but I have a lot of questions for you about it. So, but before that, yeah, talk to me about the uh, hypnobirthing. Yeah, what is it? So hypnobirthing, um, so it uses hypnosis. Um, so hypnosis is like, um, so it's, it's a trance experience. Um, it's, it's about getting the person um, into a very comfortable, relaxed physical state. So it's very similar to how, how you would feel if you were meditating. So it, it's going inside. So you're you're getting rid of everything that's outside the body. You're going inside. You're 
getting as relaxed as possible. And hypnosis um, involves giving messages to the unconscious mind. So with hypnobirthing, um, the aim is to have a a birth experience um, that is that reduces discomfort. And we use the word discomfort rather than pain because pain is loaded. (laughs) So if you think of pain, you think of, oh, this is bad, this is horrible. Um, But discomfort is something that you can kind of manage. It's it's something that's manageable and it's, it's about reducing the discomfort. So using the power of the mind to reduce the experience of of the physical discomfort that you would experience in childbirth. Also, a lot of people have all sorts of complexes about giving birth because as soon as as, as soon as you hear about birth, especially if you're female, you, all you hear about is the pain and the the horrible stories about needing to be sewn up afterwards, and you know like all, all these horrible stories that you hear. So we we already have like such a fear of it happening. True, <laughs> and it's about like not not seeing it as, oh, I'm going to have this horrible, um, painful experience, but at least I'll get a baby at the end. So I'll just go through it so that I can get this end result. It's actually about saying, no, this can be a spiritual experience. This is the, the first time that I meet my child and it's coming into the world. This can be a beautiful experience. So instead of it being something that's that's painful it can be something where you can you can turn down that dial of discomfort you can use visualization techniques to um, expand the uterus so there's there's lots of um, techniques that you can use to 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 visualize your uterus opening and working with your body to open yourself up so that the baby can have an easier and and quicker birth not only that, it, it's also really, it's something that the birth partner can be actively involved in. So um, I, I have couples often come to me for hypnobirthing. So it's about the, the birthing partner having a role in the birthing process. So you need oxytocin to, to actually have, have the baby, to, to allow the baby to, to come out. And oxytocin is the the love chemical, and what what birth partners can do is they can um, they can create a plan with the mother about what can I do to help you to release oxytocin when we're in this situation. So you could it could be stroking them, it could be looking into their eyes, it could be telling them how proud they are of them, it could it could be be any kind of thing that that you know is going to help release those love chemicals. So it's it's about both parties having roles in this experience and and planning and doing lots of these. Um, so I do recordings. So I do hypnosis recordings for hypnobirthing. So they're all about managing discomfort, um, visualizations for expanding the uterus and just sort of having that that experience of what's it going to be like when I I do go into labour and I do meet that child and and focusing on, on the the beauty and the spirituality of that new life. So that's what it's all about. <laughs> I mean, I love that. <laughs> so the process starts way before the um, labour day or 
it's a, a day or two before, or on the same day, actually. So I normally have people come to see me about three months before, but it could be, it doesn't matter too much. It's, it's normally better to have it closer to the, the expected birth date. But I, I, run, um, I run courses which involve two-day sessions. So anytime before the baby comes is absolutely fine. I suppose if you have the course a, a few months earlier, you have more time to practice and familiarise yourself with the, um, with the recordings and with the resources and more time to, to read up on this sort of thing. So, yeah, I'd say about three months before is optimal. That sounds very much like um, the idea that you spoke earlier about acceptance that we talked about briefly. There's the more we relax, the more we not just accept what's happening, but also give ourselves to life. Do you connect the word peace, being peaceful, to being relaxed, or they are different somehow? Absolutely, yeah. I think I think they are. Um, are they exactly the same? There's definitely a lot of overlap. Yeah, being at peace, being relaxed. I suppose peace also applies to war, the opposite of war. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, there's, there's a different kind of um, arena that peace fits into as well. But yes, I, I would often use the word peace actually as part of the re- relaxation process. So yes, I definitely use that. And another question I have here is you're a life coach as well. So what is the difference between, or how is coaching different from mentoring, counseling, therapy, training, consultancy, teaching? Coaching is different from therapy, specifically in that it's it's all about the client. achieving their goals and it's the coach will will be there alongside um the client and they can support with identifying the goals and and working out and planning um but ultimately it all comes from the client um so it's something that's a lot more alongside whereas therapy there's there's a lot more sort of expectation um from the therapist to be more part of the the solving process, whereas as a coach, it's it's all down to the client. That uh, they, they may, um, or hopefully, they will achieve their goal a bit more easily when they have a co- coach on alongside them um, than if they were to just do it on their own. But the idea is they could they could do it on their own with therapy, um, especially with hypnotherapy. As a hypnotherapist, I am putting those suggestions to your unconscious mind. So I have a much more active part in um, supporting you to achieve your goal. Would you replace, in a way, the word coach with guide? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, is, there is some overlap there. I suppose with, with coaching, I am quite a lot more sort of assertive. And um, I hold my clients to account and um, I challenge them in a way that I probably wouldn't in therapy. And I suppose with with mentoring, that's a lot more to do with having a particular expertise and supporting someone who wants to 
what to learn from your particular area. So you could be a mentor in a particular thing, supporting someone who wants to develop and get to the same position as as you. Whereas a coach, you can work with anyone about anything. You don't actually have to be an expert in that particular thing because the techniques that you would use to support them to identify their goals and and to challenge them and to hold them to account, they work regardless of of what the particular goal is. Wow, I love that. And that's why it's called Life Coach, because Mm -hmm. it addresses all areas. That's right, yeah. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) So let's talk about hypnosis. Does it require a belief system? Do we have to believe in it? in order to be hypnotized? See, that's an interesting question. My belief is that anyone can be hypnotized. The problem is, if you don't want to be hypnotized, it's not going to work. Um, So I often meet people who who hear that I'm a hypnotherapist and they're very much like, you can't hypnotize me. (laughs) And it's like, well, no, I I can't. If you're resisting, then there's no way that it's going to work. You have to... You have to be willing to go with. So that would involve allowing yourself to relax. And some people do have quite a lot of fear about hypnosis. That sort of idea that someone could be planting ideas in your head or making you do things that you might not want to do. So I suppose a lot of people who maybe have issues with trust may find it difficult. They They might resist, but it's... My understanding, um, what I was taught when I was doing my studying, um, was that you cannot hypnotize anyone to do anything that they don't want to do. So if what I'm suggesting doesn't fit in with your your sense of self or your moral compass, you will reject it um, because it's your unconscious mind and your unconscious mind is there to protect you. So it would just be like, no, not happening. So you have to believe, um, you have to want it, you have to believe in in what the suggestions are. Um, you have to accept those suggestions and they need to be in line with how you view yourself and how you view the world. I've had, for example, I've had clients who, who um, you know, I've, I've got it totally wrong. I've, um, I've put some suggestions to their, their unconscious mind and they're just like, no, nah, it's not, that doesn't fit in with who I am. That doesn't, like, it doesn't um, resonate. And so they just like blocked from then on. They were just like, no. So I have to be very careful when I hypnotize someone. I have to be really careful about using their own words back to them so that their unconscious mind can accept them and wants to accept them. Um, so that's that's something that you need to be really careful about when you're hypnotizing someone. It makes me think about self-healing. We are the only ones who can really heal ourselves. So we need to be open. Those methods are like guides. See, I call them guides. So they're just guiding us to see better. We hear a lot the word unconscious. So what is the subconscious and the unconscious mind? I think there are different opinions on this, but my my view is that they're the same thing. So I would use unconscious mind and subconscious mind interchangeably. What I'm referring to when, so I, I would probably normally say unconscious mind, um, but when I hear the word subconscious mind, I kind of think it's the same thing. But I, I just mean the part of the mind that is not 
conscious. It's the part of the mind that is doing all, all these things in the background that has all these associations and uh, connotations and triggers and that we may not be aware that that's happening. So, so for me, it's just the stuff that's kind of under the surface. Oh, so that's what it is. And this is the part of the mind that you access when you're working with your clients. Yes. Well, I will speak. I will speak to their unconscious mind, and hopefully, their unconscious mind will listen and absorb. But I don't really have the the power to get really deep in there. I can't shuffle anything around. I'm just I'm just talking to it. Came to mind now. It's about dreaming. Is that somehow similar, Sarah? Yeah, I think so. I think um, so. I love working with dreams. I think dreams are a really interesting kind of window into the creative unconscious mind and all the symbols that are there. And I mean, there's so many different approaches to working with dreams. What I always do when I'm, I'm working with dreams is I think about what was the feeling that you experienced during the dream? So it doesn't really matter what, what's going on in the dream, like who's there, you know, what, what the, what the context of the dream is, is it's all about what you feel while you're in the dream and if you can find what you're feeling if you could give that that emotion um if you can identify that emotion then you have an idea of what's what's going on in your waking life that relates to that emotion that you experienced in the dream um it's an indication that something's troubling you that there's some sort of block or there's some part of you that wants some attention to to work through so that's that's how I worked with dreams that's that's how I see dreams that makes sense I was thinking about now dreaming as almost a self-induced natural hypnosis if we studied them right wake up and do the work yeah I think I think there are similarities it's, it's your unconscious mind communicating something to you Although it would be a lot more challenging yes. <laughs> to find the meanings. Mm. And oh, mm. that is such a fascinating work that you do because it is complex yeah, to understand the unconscious mind. And, and I know that the unconscious mind is connected to automatic habits or actions we take. Talk to me about that for a moment, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fascinating. Um I suppose there are lots of habits that we get into that have all sorts of different kinds of origins, but they're these these patterns that exist and they can be quite difficult to just get rid of unless we explore what they mean. Um, I suppose in my experience of, of working with people, there's lots of these these habits that people have and like for example I had a client who who picked her skin and that was a nervous reaction um and she would just she would do that whenever she she felt a bit awkward or uncomfortable and then it really affected affected her skin um made it really sore and dry and um so by being able to understand the origin of the behavior and to be able to explore that anxiety and work on that anxiety as well as giving messages to the unconscious mind about stopping actually saying the word stop in her mind um, when she felt an urge to do it um, 
she was able to let go of that habit. But they, they could be all sorts of things. Um, it could be procrastination. It could be smoking. It could be emotional eating. They all have some sort of origin in the unconscious mind. And it's really useful to, to identify where it's coming from in order to, to resolve it. Something that's interesting to, to me is that it seems to me that the unconscious mind is at play all the time. So it takes a lot of self-awareness to, to uh, pay attention to how we speak and the way we act, the thinking patterns, because that's the unconscious mind at play right there. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. if we are aware enough, which takes lots of practices with meditation and all that, yeah, we can, we are able to see it too. Yes, yes, that is a big advantage. Yeah, it's it's very quick and easy and, you know, you really target what the problem is and, and you give the right messages to the unconscious mind and, and often you get quite a, a quick resolution of the problem. Yeah, yeah, that is exciting. <laughs> and I have another question here about psychedelics. How is it different being hypnotized, different from being under the influence of psychedelics? Hmm. Good question. I suppose with hypnosis, you are very relaxed and you are in a state where you're susceptible to learning. So you're susceptible to um, accepting the suggestions um, to your unconscious mind. In psychedelics, you can have um, experiences, quite profound experiences, where you can make sense of your past experiences you can work through them you can feel you know this steep connection to the universe and uh the energy and you, you can have all of these quite profound experiences that can have some overlap with hypnosis but i suppose with psychedelics it's, it's just so much more like intense and a lot of body feelings and, and sometimes you can experience um, hallucinations. With hypnosis, you don't really have so much of a visual experience. Um, you can sometimes, so some, sometimes I do visualization techniques where you, you, you might um, go back to uh, an experience, a poignant experience, or you might visualize success. Um, but that's very much, you know, like like normal um, waking state visualization. It's, it's, it's similar kind of visually, whereas psychedelics, all sorts of crazy stuff can happen. <laughs> all sorts of things could be like flying around and, you know, you're really like, um, you're hyper aware um, of, of all of these things, um, whereas hypnosis is a lot more chill. <laughs> <laughs> and safe, yeah. That's my next question. Psychedelics can be unsafe yeah, if not supervised. So what about hypnosis? Is that unsafe in any way it could become? I get asked this quite a lot. And I, I think it must be true that people can use it in um, unsafe ways. Because I, I mean, I have heard, I've heard of, of you know, um, hypnotherapists using it for personal gain, getting people into certain states where they can take advantage of people. And, you know, when you think about stage hypnotists, they can pull these tricks and um, get people to do things that they 
they might not normally do. And I'm, I'm kind of, I suppose, I'm confused about this personally because I was always taught that you can't ever be hypnotized to do anything that you don't want to do if it's against your moral code, et cetera. Um, so that's what I was taught in my training. But I think it probably is true that if you were to be working with someone who's maybe vulnerable, maybe doesn't have a strong sense of self, um, it could be used for manipulation. Um, so I think that probably is true. But um, I think if, if you're working with a a qualified hypnotherapist, then those problems shouldn't shouldn't be there. Self-hypnosis, is that possible, Sarah, to hypnotize ourselves? 100%, yes, absolutely. And that is a big part of what I do when I work with clients. I, I teach them how to hypnotize themselves so that they don't need me in the future, that they can just do it themselves. And it's interesting, actually, when my first day um, when I was when I was doing my training. Um, so I'd missed the first session because I was unwell. So I came right into the second session and we were all sort of talking about all sorts of interesting things to do with hypnotherapy. And then the teacher was like, okay, go and hypnotize each other. And I was like, <laughs> what? I haven't, I don't know how to do that. What, what is that? Um, and so we were put in into pairs and um, we were just given this script. So they'd printed off a, um, a hypnosis script and basically we were just reading it to each other and I hypnotized someone and it like it was so shocking that I was able to do that I could see her head bobbing up and down and like she was deep and it was just amazing and and also my partner hypnotized me I, I found myself going into this this deep state and I was literally just reading a piece of paper I had no clue of how to do it but I just did it. Um, so yes, I think it is totally possible to hypnotize yourself. Um, and you can, you can do it in a variety of ways. You can, you can, um, write a script or, or find a script online and just record yourself reading it and then listen back. Um, you can, um, you can do it in your waking state as well. So if you think about, um, if you think about mantras, for example, um, so you can just say things to yourself in your head. That's, that is hypnosis. Mm, um, true. everything is hypnosis, really. We're all hypnotizing each other all the time. Wow. It's just sort of getting someone in a certain state and, and believing a certain thing. So you can, you can tell yourself all sorts of things. You can give yourself messages like, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm. And then your unconscious mind will believe it. And it will make the necessary adjustments in your brain and your body for it to be true. When you said that we are being hypnotized all the time, it makes me think about thoughts. Every time we believe in any thoughts as real, then yeah, we are in that state. Of Absolutely. We, we hypnotize ourselves with all these negative things all the time. If we do that, <laughs> we can do it with positive things. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, what a great point. Does hypnosis affect the brain, the physical brain? I think it must do. No, I'm changing that. I'm a confident yes. Um, yes, I think everything that we do affects the brain. And in hypnosis especially, you are strengthening neural pathways. So you're associating two things in your brain together. So there is a lasting structural change. Um, and the brain can... Um, it's constantly changing. It's plastic. So you may make um, a, a connection in the brain that um, improves things for you. Um, 
but then all sorts of things could happen to make it go go backwards and to separate those neurons out. So it, it's just, it's, it's always adapting, but hypnosis is something that can definitely make changes to neural pathways, yes. Which is wonderful when it comes to bad habits, right? Mm-hmm. I yes. know that this is a very good treatment or technique for weight loss and smoking and I, I think other kinds of habits. How long does the hypnosis section last with you? So, I mean, it, it varies massively. So I would say that the first time I hypnotize someone, I would want to spend quite a lot of the session on that. I guess like the first time I hypnotize someone, it would need to be around 30 minutes or more. But if someone um, comes back to you regularly, you can um, reduce the amount of time that it takes to get them into the hypnotic state because they're they're familiar with it they they know what's going on so they can get into that state quicker and you can spend a bit more of the time giving the messages to the unconscious mind rather than just getting them comfortable enough and and deep enough into relaxation to do it but it you know it totally it depends on the complexity of the issue and it depends on what kind of technique you're using so um Classic hypnosis is um, me just giving messages to the unconscious mind, but then there's lots of techniques that involve more active um, participation um, from the client. So it could be asking questions, getting them to return to certain memories, getting them to to rate um, like emotional reactions to certain things. So it all varies really, but... Um, yeah, I would probably spend about half of the session normally on the talking part and then half on the hypnosis part. And you work with many kinds of issues, some of which are abuse, addiction, anger, anxiety, uh, panic attacks, betrayal, breastfeeding. That was an interesting to me when I read it. Why would this be an issue? <laughs> Ah, okay. Yes. So some some women some women struggle to lactate, and sometimes women have um, a anxiety about breastfeeding, or perhaps sometimes it's it's painful. So breastfeeding is often um, as much about uh, bonding with the child as anything else. So it's about getting into that um, that mindset, um, exploring what what the blocks, what the barriers are. Um, and improving their ability to lactate and to breastfeed their child. So building, rebuilding self-esteem, you help with these issues too. Bullying, burnout, uh, chronic pain, states, childbirth, we talked earlier, confidence, depression, eating disorders, fears, stress, trauma, and lots of others here. So... That's so wonderful what you do, Sarah. Thank you for being this gift in the world in this relative reality. We do need more healers like you. I identify as a healer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. What is another word for healing? I'm thinking of acceptance again. I think acceptance is such an integral part of, of healing, being with... I'm not sure I'm very happy with the answer. Sorry. Let me think of something else. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, processing, accepting, 
understanding, being with. Yeah, you said acceptance again. It kind of relates to exactly what you do. It's relaxation. Like when I think about acceptance, I automatically fall into this state of relaxation and peace. So it makes sense that you keep saying that word, because it is related to healing. Yeah, it's so integral. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Would I do anything differently? I think I think I'd have to do things differently. I'd have to I suppose I would live more fully. I would feel more, be more, be more present. I would definitely be more present. If I know that I'm against the clock, then I would cherish every moment, do the things that I love, um, not waste time on ruminating and feeling negative things about myself or other people. Um, I would act more, I would do more, I would be more and I would connect with the people that I love. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? So one thing is that everyone is living in entirely different realities Mm -hmm. and we don't know their journey we don't know where they've come from they don't we don't know why they they see things the way that they do but all we can do is is be kind um and accept them for who they are another thing that I know for sure about life we are here to grow and to learn and to love. And life is a gift. Yes, and it is. I love the way you use the word kindness and then love and then life is a gift. Yeah, true. A thousand times to all of these. One more question for you. This is a technical question, but before that, I want to thank you for your presence, your love, and everything you do. I love your wisdom too, behind what you do and your words. Thank you. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your work, services, products, and future projects? So my website is um, www.hypno-psychotherapycoaching.com. So you can find out all the information from there. And there's... um, You can write me a message or you can um, make a booking on my website and all the information about everything that I'm doing, uh, you should find it on there. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Sarah, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sarah Mayston and her work, please visit hypnopsychotherapycoaching.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.